I, I want to be brief, intentionally brief tonight because I want us to step back into worship and then I want us to give ourselves space to minister. Uh, we'll do these nights periodically because I think it's really valuable to, on occasion, just focus on the Lord and focus on ministry to the body. So I, I want to just talk from a portion of Scripture that has always intrigued me. It's, it's been a fascinating piece of Scripture, but it has a little bit of a negative connotation. But, but my hope is that I can expound on it just enough in about 15 minutes to make it meaningful to us as, as the house. I, this is, this is not so much a word for the individual. I'm just speaking this over the house and over us as a people uh, trying to pastor this church, what I believe the Lord is calling us to. So I, I don't know if you have heard the phrase. My, my guess is uh, that you've heard that phrase that a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. You heard that? I've, I've heard that. Obviously, Jesus said it about his hometown of Nazareth. And that always intrigued me, and um, I, I come to this thought right in the beginning. The people and the place matter when seeking the Lord to meet needs and minister miracles. It is certainly the Lord that does the miracle. It is the Lord's power. It is the Lord's grace. It's His sovereignty, His goodness. But the people and the place, the community, not necessarily the building, but the community, the people, matter when it comes to the frequency, the consistency, the regularity, the, the power that God releases in the earth. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of random acts of kindness. I want us to have a culture where God routinely and regularly comes and does the miraculous among us. And I've learned through 24 years of ministry that you can position yourself to have regular testimonies of healing, regular testimonies of marriage restoration, regular testimonies of deliverance, that you can be a place that has regular testimonies of people being set free from addiction. But it's imperative that you line yourself up for that to happen. And so Jesus was in Nazareth and he makes this statement that a prophet is without honor in his hometown. And in ministry circles, that tends to mean like, I'm, I'm going to go preach in Covington, Tennessee, where I grew up, in, in the church that I grew up in. And people won't necessarily openly receive my ministry because they remember you know, me when I was a kid and was snot-nosed. And so, they, you know, they're, I'm common to them, and, and they're just not going to receive from me. But, but I think it, when Jesus said it, it was more than just like Jeremy, I'll still go into Covington, Tennessee, and, and they remember me when I was a kid, or they went to high school with me, and I'm, I'm just familiar. And I think it was deeper than that. There was a culture in Nazareth as it pertained to Jesus. There was an attitude in the atmosphere that was an impediment to the work of Jesus. So I want to read it to you. It's Mark 6, 1 through 6, and as y'all know, I like to read the Bible. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. So there was some positive response to his ministry. And they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, 
Judas and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And then this is where it gets a little shocking. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them. The Son of God, says it here, could not do many miracles among them because of their posture, because of their mindset, because of their attitude. Then it does say, except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. So there was some random occasional because Jesus in compassion will reach out to some. But I've always been blown away that the Son of God was impeded in his miracle working power. Now, does this mean that he literally couldn't have done it? Or does it mean I will not dignify this attitude in this culture? I I can't speak authoritatively on what couldn't means. But whatever the case, there was something going on in Nazareth that I do not want to repeat. That I don't want to be a part of me. And a part of us. I want to figure out whatever they were. And let me be the opposite of that. Now in case you think this was just kind of an by the way account. Literally in the next few verses. Jesus is sending out his disciples two by two. It says at verse 7. I'm going to read 7, 10, and 11. And he called his 12 disciples together. And began sending them out two by two. Giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. Verse 10, these are the instructions from Jesus. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. Verse 11, but if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you've abandoned these people to their fate. So even Jesus, as loving as he was, and y'all know by now, six months in, I'm going to lean heavy into love, heavy into mercy, heavy into grace, heavy into the generosity of God. But Jesus is saying, hey, if they don't want it, move on. Shake the dust off. Like if you go somewhere and you're there to cast out devils, you're you're there to minister to the sick, you're there to minister in compassion and mercy, and and they're not receptive to it, then, then you have my permission to move on. Now, I don't think that's Jesus' heart for any collection of people, but there is biblical precedent that the people, the community, the culture, in large part determines the ministry of Jesus. Whether he restrains himself, I can't get into exactly how it works. I just see that we matter in the equation, Cornerstone Church. This isn't that God just, you know, decided sometime ago he's going to prophesy a word and like he's going to do it no matter what. No. He said, this is what I want to do here. Now let's see if they line up. Let's see if they situate themselves, if they construct their heart in such a way, if they calibrate their attitude and their mindset in alignment with me so that I can do everything that I want to do. 
And so just a few observations about these people in Nazareth, three observations about them and about the people in these homes that they might shake the dust off. Number one, they did not reverence Jesus. They treated him as common. That's right out of the gate. They were familiar. Now look, I I don't want us walking around stone-faced and rigid. Like I, we've been talking around, around the office a little this week. I want us to be filled with joy, energy, and life. We need a lot more of that around here. I'm not fussing. I'm just saying. We need to smile more. We need to laugh more. We need to be a little louder. We need to shake hands a little more vigorously. Throw a few high fives in. We just need a little more joy, energy, and life in the house. So I'm not saying be rigid or stiff, but what I am saying is there should be respect. There should be a sense of awe in our hearts when it comes to the Lord. We shouldn't be frivolous. Even in how we come to church, there should be a a focus in us. It doesn't have to be everybody, but, but we need a critical mass of people that walk in every week saying, I'm here with the belief that God is going to show up and I am focused to that end. I I have, yeah, I have found through the years, the thing that, that, that has carried us farther is just an absolute focus and determination on the moving of the Lord wherever I'm going. Like I, I will not relent until I have that. Like everything less than that is unacceptable. And I'm not going to be frivolous about my church experience. I'm not, going to be, I'm not going to be casual about it. It's okay to dress casually. It's okay to have relational interaction that's not all serious. But man, I am here with reverence in my heart. I'm here with awe. I'm not going to take him lightly. The next thing is they had arrogance and offense in their heart. Arrogance stymies the presence of the Lord. Pride puts us in a position where God opposes us. And so they had this arrogance and pride. They had a know-it-all, unteachable spirit. And they were carrying a bit of skepticism in them. Um, We, I'll give you the converse in a moment, the other side of it. But pride has to die. Hubris has to die. We have to be teachable. We have to be open-hearted. We can't be know-it-alls. There's just got to be a humility in us. But those people, there was an arrogance. There was an offense. They allowed themselves to be offended. And in being offended, faith was diminished. And then the last thought here is they were not hospitable. They just weren't hospitable. The people in these homes weren't hospitable. So how do you be hospitable? Well, I think you acknowledge him. I'll tell you what hospitality to the Lord looks like to me. I don't want to be a horizontal church. Ministry does happen horizontally. But there has to be some vertical element in what we do. It can't just be us talking about God and talking about what God does and talking about how to live for the Lord and talking about being in relationship with one another. Being hospitable to the Lord is actually looking up from each other and looking up to Him. 
and saying, you're the honored guest. I am focused on connecting with you. We are a church that's focused on engagement with you. We are in a deep belief that God wants to interact with us. That when we show up here, it is possible for heaven and earth to touch. And we come in with that hospitable mindset that we want you here, Lord. We welcome you here. We're not just going to push play and do church and do ministry and, and, and feel like we can win the world on our own. No, you're the one that wins the world, so we need you here. You're the one that sets the captives free, so we need you. I know this sounds really basic and really common, but it's really easy to go through the motions. It's really easy to, I'll just say it for my, it's really easy to get good on the platform and just be carried by charisma and talent. But we need him here, and so I want to host him well. So just a few thoughts. Uh, If the band wants to go ahead and come back up, y'all didn't get much of a break. So here are atmospheres that are conducive for miracles and revival. These are just markers. They should be on the screen. An atmosphere in which Jesus is talked to and engaged with. I don't know if I've got a typo here. Good, you fixed it, Jonathan. Kind of. An atmosphere in which Jesus is talked to and engaged with. That's my bad. I've already touched on that. An environment in which space is made for him to work. I've said this, but I think it's worth reiterating. There will be very few occasions when we come together where we don't have people available to pray for the body. If we don't make room for God to work, and that is just a very practical way to do it, how can we ever expect Him to do the miraculous? And so for me, it's a core value. Body ministering to body, believers ministering to one another, because within that exchange, the supernatural takes place. It's why we're going to do it tonight. I want to make space for God to do a miracle. I want to make space for Him to minister to people. I want to make space for Him to heal hearts. Another part of the atmosphere that's conducive for miracles, a people who have humbled their hearts knowing there is more to God than what they have experienced. I'm 44, I've talked about it. All I know is Jesus, but I don't know all of Jesus. All I've known is Him, but I don't know all of Him. There's more. There's more of Him that I've not seen. There's truths that I know here, but they haven't exploded in here. I have intellectual property about God that hasn't fully transform me the way he wants to yet. And so I am in pursuit of the more of God. The atmospheres that are conducive, it's a place in which worship and prayer are prioritized. These nights are important. What we do on Sundays during worship is important. What we do on Wednesdays in worship is important. When you prioritize worship and prayer, You're tapping into the spiritual things of God. And you're beckoning heaven to move among you. I like, let me say it this way. I appreciate how appreciative you are of me preaching. You are so kind and you are so generous with your affirmation. But I want us to be worshipers and prayers 
not just listeners. It's a collective that we become that. And then a people who deeply believe in the ministry of Jesus. Just people that in its simplest form believe that Jesus does all these things and is always, like we are always on the cusp of another miracle. We are, every time we show up, every time we pray, every time we offer unto the Lord, we're on the precipice of seeing his hand extended and a life changed. Living with that bated breath anticipation that at any moment, at any time, I I don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point in this church, and it's good right now. Like we've been together six months. It's good right now. But, but there's more. And I don't know what it'll look like exactly and when it'll happen, but there'll be a point when the Lord moves in this place in such a way that we all go, whoa. Now that was different. And he'll remain. And we'll live in his glory as a congregation. Well, I'm going to show up every time, every Sunday and Wednesday with the belief that this could be that day. I'm going to show up every time wondering if something's about to explode. And can I just be in real honest? Most of the time, I'm watching you. Because when he moves... And you start responding to his spirit. Something will really begin to shift in this church. And I'm not saying you're not doing well. I've been been so impressed with where we are. But I'm watching you because, and I just want to give you permission. When you sense him, go for it. When When you feel stirred, go after him. Because he doesn't, there's an anointing on my life, okay? But glory rests on a people. The glory of the Lord in the Old Testament, we call it the Shekinah. That was the the ancient Jewish term. Settled and centered in the middle of the camp and was on the people. The glory was on the people. The anointing was on Moses. And so I want us to be a house that the Lord moves in. And so we're going to sing another song or so. And then I'm going to invite you to pray. And the pastoral staff is going to help me. And we're just going to pray for anybody and everybody that wants ministry. I want us tonight, we're getting getting close to the 8 o'clock hour, but I want us to pray for our students at some point too. All right? So would you stand and, and join me?